Hey, Scott Walker here on You Can't Recall Courage. Thanks for joining us again this week. Uh, we appreciate all of you tuning in. And, you know, it's an interesting week. Uh, Tonette and I, the other day, went to Chicago with some friends and saw the musical Hamilton. And uh, obviously, as the reviews are, it's great. Uh, it's actually uh, in Chicago, I think, through January, and it's coming later this fall into Milwaukee and, and I'm assuming places all across the country. Um, you know, a little bit of of uh, finessing with some of the facts. As a history buff, I love uh, kind of the nuances here, out here. But in, in the larger context, I just like the idea that uh, that there are actually some people out there talking about uh, the founders of our country and the things that they they, they fought for and, and talked about and debated and, and ultimately stood for out there. It's pretty interesting to me. It's one of those where I've often said, you know, particularly in our schools, uh, whether it be in our colleges and universities, public and private, or, or for sure in school from kindergarten through 12th grade, I, I don't need teachers who are teaching conservative thought. I, I can certainly, and other conservatives can, can make that argument in the larger public marketplace. Uh, but what I do need is objective information. And uh, just teaching objective American history, and for that matter, even global history, uh, teaching just the facts when it comes to economics and an understanding of what economics actually means in financial literacy. If we just taught those things, I, I know overwhelmingly uh, the uh, the group of young people out there today, the, the millennial and younger generation, I, I believe would be on a much different path than we see. And unfortunately, we see uh, far too much evidence uh, that young people today in America are, are not only moving down the path of being more and more open towards socialism, uh, you, you see that personified in the election last fall in a, in a primary that was unheard of in New York City with AOC being elected and, and others, but particularly for her, not, not just these outliers in terms of extreme liberal, even for where at least Democrats had been historically, although their party is becoming, that's becoming more and more of the norm. But, but I just think where you see this country at, uh, certainly a shift out there. And Bill Bennett, uh, the former Secretary of Education and just a great stalwart over the years. I always loved the work that he and Jack Kemp did through Empower America and the radio show that he has and the Book of Virtues. We, we got those for our kids and read through that, just classics out there. But, but Bill Bennett, I remember decades ago, talked about how the left had, uh, had aggressively moved to take over uh, higher education, education in general, and, and entertainment. And unfortunately, we're seeing uh, the, uh, the the benefit of, of that work. The seeds that they sowed, uh, sowed years ago are, are coming to fruition right now where you, you see, and I remember this, Matt and Alex, you know, my sons are, one's 25, uh, Alex will be 24 at the end of the month. When you think about, I'm just so thankful that they had good influences, not just Tonette and I, but our parents and many of our friends and many good other people that we connected them with along the way. They came out as you know, solid conservatives, uh, believe in the free market, believe in free enterprise, uh, believe in individual rights over the uh, thrusting the power of the government uh, onto the people. I mean, things that, again, our, our founders, not just Alexander Hamilton as personified in the musical, but George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and Monroe, and you got on the line, things that, that people talked about and fought for and really risked everything for, not just political careers, not just business ventures, but risk it all for. And uh, you know, part of that was living in a, in a democratic republic uh, where our, our economy was and is today driven 
uh, by a free enterprise, free market system. And, uh, you know, those are, I have a hard time looking around the world at examples where classic socialism over time has worked. You know, I mentioned this before, but Venezuela, you know, once one of the most uh, economically stable, prosperous countries in the hemisphere uh, because of their abundant natural resources, amongst other things, now is at a crisis. I think nine out of 10 Venezuelans are, uh, are living in poverty. Um, the poverty is so rampant that they actually, this past year, I believe the statistic is that something like uh, the average Venezuelan through malnutrition and, and deprivation has lost about 20 pounds. I mean, this is, you can literally see uh, the impacts of the horrible economy and the bad leadership there. For all the talk about socialism promising prosperity, what it often leads to is poverty. And for all the talk about putting power in the hands of the people, it does the opposite. It, it actually empowers people like Maduro uh, in uh, places like Venezuela. You know, sometimes I, I, the other day I was talking to a friend of mine and, and realized that with young people today, uh, so, so many uh, folks under the age of 30 just have n nothing to connect it to uh, in terms of a historical perspective because things like the fall of the Berlin Wall, the fall of the Soviet Union, all those things happened well before their time, well before they were born. You know, those are the sorts of things I grew up in. You think about the Cold War and the, the threat of a, a nuclear holocaust and, and uh, all, all the challenges that came up at the time. You, you look at the difference between um, West Germany and East Germany. The closest thing we get to that now is the difference between North Korea and South Korea. Uh, many times I've looked at the nighttime satellite uh, views of all the lights in South Korea, and that's because it's a you know, you've got a, a, a prosperous economy. You've got a you've got a system where people can engage in the free enterprise system, and not so in North Korea. And hopefully that gets better. But but that's still today, as much as it was in the past, a prime example of the difference between uh, communism and socialism and that view, way of thought versus um, democratic republics and free enterprise and a system that believes in the people and less so in the hands of the government. And so it's interesting, but it, it is a challenge for us. Uh, I mean, I think about this. I was, I, I was reading this uh, poll. Some of you may have seen there was a, a Gallup poll conducted at the beginning of last month, June 3rd through the 16th, 2019. Uh, they asked a simple question, how proud are you to be an American? I, I even hear that phrase, and I think of Lee Greenwood. I remember that, that that goes way, way back. I remember during Desert Storm and Desert Shield, I worked for the American Red Cross. We helped with uh, not only Pattaya Yellow Ribbons, there was a group called Operation Orange Ribbon, which were families, uh, military personnel. And uh, boy, we played that song all the time. We've heard it at plenty of other events. It's just a, an American classic. I'm proud to be an American, or at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died. Preserve that right for me. I mean, it's it's just a classic, classic song out there. But they asked this question, how proud are you to be American? Uh, the options were extremely proud, very proud, moderately proud, only a little proud, and not at all. And so if you look at Americans as a whole, 45% uh, under this Gallup poll said that they were extremely proud. That would be me. I'm, I, I couldn't be more proud to be an American. Does that mean I agree with everything that happens in this country? Certainly not. And, and that's why we... We have a system set up to hold the government accountable at, at every several, at every level, at the federal level, the state level, the municipal, the county, the local level. Um, that doesn't mean we, 
we don't want to change things and improve things. In fact, that's as an aside, one of the things I think was missed with all the controversy about uh, the flag and Nike and the so-called Betsy Ross flag. And I mean, the fact that we went from 13 colonies, 13 states, and then kept adding and adding, we're up to 50. I mean, it just shows the, the aspirational view of the American spirit of, of saying that we, we grew and we expanded and we're always looking to get better and we're always looking to do better and to to add people who want to share in that American dream, who want to come here legally, who want to live the American dream, that, that's what we're open for. And that's why I'm so proud of it. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. But we're, we're I think we're leaps ahead, despite what the New York Times editorial page says, we're, we're leaps and bounds ahead of other places around the world, not just when it comes to the economy or, or other things like that, but just with the freedoms that we provide for our citizens, with the opportunities here. We, we live in a country where it doesn't matter what class you were born into, it doesn't matter what your parents did for a living. I mean, I think about having the honor of eight years of being one of only 50 people in America to be the governor of a state or a commonwealth. The, and I think about, you know, having grown up in a small town, the son of a, a small town preacher. Uh, my dad, God rest his soul, was was a, a wonderful soul and and um, a small town preacher. And my mom was a part-time bookkeeper and and did a, a variety of different jobs over the years and raised my brother and I. And I just think about the opportunities that we had. We didn't know at the time. There were, there were so many different ways my mother could take potatoes and make it in a soup or stew or something else that would, would would sustain us until the next paycheck came along the way. And I hear so many stories like that across not only my state here in Wisconsin, but across America where, um, you know, we just take it for granted uh, how blessed we were, even though some people might say, well, you know, others had more. Well, we just lived in, in this, this great country where we had boundless opportunities and uh, we weren't limited by our you know, hard work and our imagination. And, and uh, again, so this is a country that I would consider myself in that 45% that says I'm extremely proud. So of all U.S., all the adults in this country, 45% said they're extremely proud. 25% said very proud. 18% said moderately. 9% said only a little. And amazingly, 3% said they're not at all proud. What is shocking to me, though, is if you start breaking it down. If you look at uh, folks 65 and older, so people like my mother, uh, who is uh, in her 80s now, 63% uh, said extremely proud. Another 22% said very proud. So overwhelmingly, there's this sense in, in, in that generation, uh, which, which spans a pretty good spectrum. 65 and up is pretty wide spectrum. You can 65 all the way up to 100 plus. Uh, very, very different. But but that that generation, very, very proud, even though we've had challenges. I mean, uh, I, I think about even back my grandmother passed away in 2008, how proud she was. And she lived in America during the Great Depression. Um, I mean, just but but eternally optimistic in the American spirit and the opportunity uh, for things to get better uh, for everyone, not just for one group or another. On the flip side of it, though, as I, I look at the generation that reflects my kids, not that they reflect uh, this these percentages, but 18 to 29 year olds. So this was a survey of adults, not not of those under the age of 18, but 18 to 29 year olds. Get this. Only 24% were extremely proud to be an American. And 26% were, were very proud. A whopping 33% were moderately proud. 14% were only a little proud. And 2% were not proud at all. 
I mean, that's just, it's amazing to me that at this time, in really unprecedented prosperity here and for that matter around the world, but particularly in the United States, you know, with the blessings that we have. And, and all I can figure is a combination of things. I think for some folks, particularly at the latter end, closer to the, to the 30-year-old age group, I, I have to believe for, for millennials and in that category, part of it is just because when about a decade ago, 10, 11 years ago, 12 years ago, we started the recession, that for all the promises of, of owning, you know, going to school, getting education, finding a job, getting married, uh, owning a home, a lot of those things fell apart during that recession, you know. A lot of young people may have seen their parents have their home mortgage go underwater because it wasn't, they, they were, in some cases may have been because of, in some cases uh, in particular because of programs because of the of the federal government, been in homes that, that were just homes they probably financially couldn't have been in the first place. And, and for a lot of other reasons, just the way the market fell apart out there and the greed of, of, of some and, in the mortgage industry and all these other problems that were out there. So you saw, some folks saw that their their own family's home was underwater and even to the extreme of going as far as foreclosures. You saw others go to school and acquire massive student loan debt and then come out and not be able to find a job along the way because the economy is rotten despite all, all the money and resources that President Obama and, and Joe Biden put in, into the, the so-called stimulus. That, that didn't work and, and it was a big challenge as well. And then you see the, you know, the, the people in this age group are waiting because of that, I think, in part, they're waiting later to get married and to buy a home. And, and so we have to find ways to renew, I think, the optimism of the American spirit, the, the optimism of the American dream, because, um, you know, for a lot of these young people, they were just, you know, this was a generation that many of them got participation trophies and, and didn't understand the importance of, of not only winning, but of losing and then getting back up again on your, uh, pulling yourself up and, and getting back up again and, and, and finding a way uh, to, to achieve and to work hard and, and to win again, even if you've lost in the past. I think about prior generations, we've all had our challenges and we've all had things we've been concerned about. A lot of the folks in that 18 to 29 year old age group just haven't had those kind of challenges. They haven't had to deal with those sorts of things. And so, Maybe they just take for granted uh, the wonders that we have here in the United States. And, and maybe it would be beneficial not only for them to learn a little bit more about American and global history, just an objective view. It doesn't even have to have a conservative tint to it, just a, a conservative or, excuse me, an objective view of history when it comes to our great country and when it comes to the world as a whole. And they start to realize compared to other places and other times, we live in remarkable, remarkable times. I want to touch on that a little bit more when we come back. I'm going to take a break for a moment with this little advertisement, uh, and then we'll join us for more on You Can't Recall Courage. Hey, Scott Walker here back. You know, one thing I wanted to mention last week, I forgot to bring this up, but uh, Matt Bevan, the governor of the Commonwealth of Kentucky, is up for election this year. Talk about an off-off-year election. Matt has done a spectacular job uh, producing great results for the people in Kentucky. He's up for election this year. But Matt Bevins uh, sent me this this link to a column that ran on July 4th that I, I forgot to share with you last Friday, the day after the 4th. But I'm going to read it real quick. And it comes from uh, Kyra Davis, who wrote in Red State. It's called, it's real simple. It's called Stand for the Anthem. Stand for the Anthem. Not for how it fails us, but how it has lifted us to unimaginable heights. 
stand for the anthem, not to salute a leader, but to honor the great citizens that reside within these borders and work every day to serve their families, their neighbors, and their nation. Stand for the anthem, not for its tradition, but for its inspiration, a love song to the resilience of the human spirit and our willingness to push back against the darkness always, even, even within ourselves. Stand for the anthem, not because you love the injustices we may struggle with, but because you love that we are free enough and powerful enough to engage in that struggle in the first place. Stand for the anthem, not because it is a sign of a complete agreement with your fellow Americans, but because it is a sign of the stunning and diverse rainbow of people who gather themselves in this one place under this one flag. Stand for the anthem, not because it celebrates war or violence, but because it celebrates the peace that can only be found by having the fortitude to fight the costly battles, and it spurs us to action when we see unrest even to this day. Stand for the anthem, not to prove you love America the most, but simply to respect those who have served this nation, those who serve their neighbors, and those who give everything in the service of something higher, the very essence of the American spirit. Stand for the anthem, not because you love everything about this country, but because you are grateful to be free to not love everything about this country when so many around the world will never know that luxury. Stand for the anthem, because the people you love dearly live here. Stand for the anthem, because it is a symbol of generations of people from all experiences who have sown into one so that you, you can be who you are right now. Stand for the anthem, because for just that couple of minutes, wherever it is played, it is a respite from all the arguing and division. For just that couple of minutes, no one is shouting at each other, berating each other, or accusing each other of heinous things. For just that couple of minutes, any given group of Americans are united in the same tune, singing the same words, enjoying the same soil. There is immeasurable power in that small act. Stand for your anthem, not because of where we've been, but because of where we have to go. Stand for the anthem. That was Kira Davis. Boy, really well said. And again, I apologize that uh, that we uh, I didn't get a chance to, to read that to you last week. But but that just kind of says it all, right? I mean, no matter what our disagreements, no matter what the battles, no matter what the challenges, it's just remarkable as I've traveled the world, particularly over the last uh, eight, nine years as I was had the honor and distinction of serving as governor of the great state of Wisconsin and Tonette alongside me as the First Lady of Wisconsin, and, and just being so proud to not only be from Wisconsin, but from the great, these United States of America. And to think about traveling the world, and even in many cases in wonderful countries that are allies of ours, but still, nowhere else, nowhere else do we have the kind of freedom, the kind of liberties that we have right here in the United States. I think all too often we take it for granted. And sometimes maybe it's, you know, my, I remember last year, we, Tonette and I were going, uh, over to Sicily. Her, her uh, grandfather uh, came here via um, Ellis Island and, and uh, was from Porticello and that area just east of Palermo in Sicily in Italy. And so we'd made a pilgrimage for our 25th anniversary and flew into Rome and then went over there, flew to Palermo and saw four of Tonette's father's cousins are still alive and were there. And 
It was amazing along the way looking at her family's history, not only her father's side and the Tarantino's, but, but looking at her mother's side as well. And then I looked at my family history, and it's pretty diverse. I mean, my you name Walker's obviously got some English blood in it, but we had um, some Welsh, some Irish, and some Scottish, a little county, uh, 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 county Cork in, in Ireland, and some Scottish. And, and uh, my mother's side, you know, we had some German, and there's some um, Czech in there as well. And But I, I was looking at and all the different ones. One of the first along the line I went back on an ancestry, uh, dot com when I was looking for Tonette stuff, I did my own family, and I knew bits and pieces of it, particularly from my father and a little bit from my mother. Uh, but I went back multiple generations uh, to uh, on the Welt side. My my father's name was Llewellyn. Some, a lot of people would call him Pastor Lou, but it wasn't L O U. It was L L E E W E L L Y N. Very Welch name, in fact. I think the former chief of staff to uh, David Cameron when he was the prime minister years ago uh, was a Llewellyn, and we were talking, and I think we were probably somewhere down the line, might very well have been related because uh, his ancestors and mine uh, traced their way all the way back to Myrtle Tidville, which is in south-central Wales, and and that's where uh, they were miners. And uh, one of the sons of a miner, uh, Thomas Llewellyn, made his way uh, to Philadelphia first and foremost, Uh, to be a blacksmith and started a family with his wife there and eventually over time they picked up and moved their way to the midwest and had more family members along the way and uh, one of them was the the father of my great-grandmother my great-grandmother Llewellyn and uh, who ended up living to be over 100 years old up in Door County but but I just think about these tremendous opportunities and whether it was the Tarantinos or Llewellyns or others and, and plenty of you are listening now have stories like this that you can trace back as well. It's one of the great joys of these, these websites you can go to and learn more about your families. But one of the common threads, whether you were uh, you came here years ago, decades ago, or even just a few weeks ago, uh, particularly for those who came through the legal process, it's it's just this great focal point. In fact, I think it's one of the things that makes America exceptional is the fact that these were the risk takers. You know, these were the people oftentimes who would go across treacherous waters in the middle of the ocean, make their way in, 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 in a time and in a way that many others were afraid to do back in their home countries, um, come to America, line themselves up with a sponsor and a job, work hard, save up some money, eventually come back and get other members of their family, whether it's a spouse or children or siblings or parents, uh, and, and make their way to America. Why? Because the view was anyone, you know, if you work hard with determination and focus, anyone can live the American dream. That it wasn't limited to just one class or another. Uh, I said last week, that's why in America we celebrate the 4th of July and not the 15th of April, because in America we celebrate our independence from the government, not our dependence on it. And I think it was just, that. that's why it's just so important to, to, to keep our faith and our strength in the individual, in the American people, and, and not in the American government. Yeah, we have to have rules of, of law to uphold the peace and order out there, but, but part of the strength of those laws being upheld is that we live in, in a place where, where people are, are, are thrilled to be here and, and where we're, we're based on you know, Judeo-Christian ethics that, that uh, help us you know, reinforce the morality of, uh, of the laws that we have and the rightful protections for the health and safety of ourselves, our family, and our neighbors along the way. And, and I just look at that and I think, 
you know, maybe back to that poll I mentioned just a little bit ago, maybe it would be helpful for more of our children, more of that generation of, of individuals under the age of 30, to learn more about their ancestors and to meet more of the people today who've come here from around the world. I, I know years ago there was a, a friend I've developed over the past 15 or 20 years who was uh, who came to the Milwaukee area, uh, actually went to Marquette University, came from India, and started out with next to nothing. He he ended up to pay for school and pay for his, his way to survive uh, here in Wisconsin. He drove a number of taxis. He went to school, got a degree in engineering, and, and um, today goes quite well in that profession. To me, that's just a good example. And you can, you can tie in just about any country in the world and make that case. One of the things I love as I travel, uh, particularly around the United States, is, is whether it's in Uber or Lyft, or just meeting people in, in general is asking them, you know, where they're from. And a lot of times I'll meet folks who've come here to the United States from other places around the world. And, and it's just so refreshing to hear their stories and to see their passion and to see that they came here to, to live the American dream, to, to work hard, not to live off the government, but to, but to actually work hard and, and knowing that if they worked hard in this spot, I remember one guy I met, in Washington, he was talking about his dreams and his plans for how he's going to start a business and what he was going to do next. I met another woman who had a who had a cupcake shop and she was just starting out and she had dreams of expanding it and opening up another another uh, couple stores along the way. I mean, these are just the things that that make us so great here, and uh, that's why it's really an honor uh, to to, uh, to to have served in the government here, but also an honor. Uh, to be able to just share with you. And I, I appreciate it. If you, if you like this podcast, uh, tune in again next Friday at 9 a.m. Every Friday, Central Time, uh, we put our podcast up on scottwalker.com and, of course, all the different platforms that are out there. Uh, but I would encourage you not just to listen in, but but hopefully encourage others. Uh, if you're listening to this live or, or maybe you're just, uh, you've saved it for working out later today or the day after, or, or maybe you're listening to it while you're having lunch somewhere or wherever you might be. Thanks for listening. And uh, if you like it, please pass on to others. And and to visit us on social media, you can send us stuff on, on Twitter at Scott Walker. Uh, Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash Scott K. Walker there. Uh, let us know your thoughts and ideas for things to talk about in the future. One of the things I think we're going to experiment with, this is fairly new, but I think we're going to try some of our future podcasts uh, to do a few interviews here or there, uh, whether it's uh, here in studio where we're at in Milwaukee or maybe out in the road talking to some of my friends and colleagues and former colleagues and, and hearing from folks not only in elected office or formerly elected office, but other people who are making a difference all across this great country. Uh, I appreciate you tuning in. And, uh, again, join us next week, 9 a.m. We release our, our next podcast on You Can't Recall Courage. Until then, keep standing up for freedom.